0: Hello. Welcome to the Myths and History of Greece and Rome. Chapter 118. Crumbs, it's crumb. The Bulgars had been around for a couple of hundred years, right on the doorstep of the empire. Sometimes they'd been friends, sometimes enemies, but like the Goths and the Alamanni before them, they were always there and they always needed to be watched. They had had some mighty leaders before, but in the very early years of the ninth century, the greatest of them all came to power – his name was Crum, and he was to wreak havoc among the themes of the empire, and cause the deaths of two emperors and the deposition of another. Crum had become kagan of the Bulgars sometime around 796. His origins are lost in the mists of time, although it's thought he was a tribal chief in Pannonia before becoming leader of all the Bulgars. By 805 he had virtually wiped out the Avars and taken their lands, which brought him into contact with the Franks of Charlemagne as well as the Byzantines. By 807, he had entirely united the Bulgar people. None of this was on the horizon for the new Emperor Nikephorus, though, when he took control of the government in 802. He was already in his 60s. He'd been born in Seleucia sometime around 740 and had risen up to be Logothete of the Treasury under Irene. He was as qualified as anybody to get the empire back some of its lost cash. He quickly sorted out the tax and loan systems and the money started to flow back into the Treasury. This didn't make the emperor very popular, of course, but it needed to be done. At the beginning of his reign, Nicephorus made peace with Charlemagne, although he refused to accept the king of the Franks could call himself emperor. To Nicephorus, as to all citizens of the Roman Empire, there was only one empire and only one emperor, and that emperor was himself. The Pax Nicephorae, as it's known, held, and the threat from the west was removed, Nikephoros then felt strong enough to tell the Arab caliph Harun al-Rashid that he was not going to pay up next time the annual tribute was due, and in fact he wanted the money back that Irene had previously paid. The caliph was not going to let him get away with this insult, and immediately declared war. Nicephorus crowned his son Storacius as junior emperor, appointed a talented general to lead the troops of the Asian Themes against the Arabs, and sat back feeling pleased with himself. Unfortunately, the general he appointed to lead his forces against the Arabs rebelled against the emperor, declared himself emperor, and went with his three closest colleagues to see a hermit near Antioch. Yep, it's time for the prophecy to be made. The four men we have already met, known as Michael the Amorian, Bardanes Turkos, Thomas the Slav and Leo the Armenian, went to see an old hermit. So, have you decided which are going to become emperors? Well, here goes. As we know, the hermit told the leader, the rebelling general, that he had no chance of succeeding, but that two of his three friends would be emperors in the future. This man, Bardani's Turcos, carried on with the rebellion anyway, and as predicted, failed. This was the first of many rebellions against the rule of Nicephorus. Turcos led his forces to the outskirts of Constantinople, hoping to provoke a larger, more general uprising among the troops and the people. Unfortunately for him, none was forthcoming and his rebellion soon began to wither, particularly when two of his key supporters defected. Michael the Amorian and Leo the Armenian were given promotions to lure them away from Bardani's Turkos, and so they rejoined the imperial army. Thomas the Slav disappeared. Bardani's Turkos was sent to a monastery, and was soon blinded when a band of Laconians arrived. Nicephorus swore an oath that he had nothing to do with this crime. In this case, it's perfectly likely the emperor was innocent, The rebellion of Bardani's Turkos was well over by this stage, and there really was no threat. Not only that, Nikephorus was busy elsewhere. A huge Arab force of 135,000 men stormed into the empire and captured territory including the city of Tiana. Nikephorus eventually ended up paying them 50,000 gold pieces to leave, more than the tribute would have been. Harun soon died though, and the Arab threat went away for a while. Nikephoros dealt with an uprising by the Slavs, who were settled in the empire and generally peaceful. He then settled as many Greek-speaking citizens of the empire as he could in the Balkans, so that the Slavs wouldn't have all the territory to themselves. This was a wise move, and the area was peaceful for a number of years. Peace in the east and in the Balkans was handy for Nikephorus because in 805, Krum arrived. After uniting the Bulgar tribes, he moved against the Avars, and completely wiped them from existence, the Avar people are never heard of again. Crum agreed where the border would be between his empire and the Empire of the Franks, and this left him free to attack the Roman Empire. In 807, Nicephorus led an expedition against the Bulgars, but got bogged down dealing with yet another in the long list of rebellions against his rule. Crum took the opportunity to steal a Byzantine military chest containing 1,100 pounds of gold, destined for the payment of troops stationed on the banks of the Strymon. This was nice, he thought, but he could give the empire a bigger kicking, so in 808 he marched his troops into the imperial city of Serdica. He somehow tricked the population into letting him in, and slaughtered 6,000 imperial soldiers. Nicephorus was never popular, but when the people of the capital heard about the deaths of so many soldiers, his popularity fell even lower. He knew he needed a victory, or he would be history, so he marched his army to the Bulgar capital of Pliska, and finding it completely deserted, sacked it viciously. He considered rebuilding the city and stationing his own forces there, but there was a mutiny among his troops and he never got the chance. Instead he went back to his own capital, feeling somewhat pleased with a job well done. Nicephorus had badly underestimated Crum, and underestimating people like Crum is usually a pretty bad idea. The emperor decided that since the east was quiet, He would gather up all the eastern armies, add them to the western armies, and destroy the Bulgars. Oh, silly man. In 811, Nicephorus and Storachius marched out of the Golden Gate at the head of a giant army, numbering up to seventy thousand men. They quickly reached Pliska and sacked it again. It's said the emperor lost his head a bit during the sack and ordered women and children to be slaughtered. This is not by any means certain. What is known, though, is that the Bulgar treasury was seized and distributed amongst the soldiers. Crum saw his people being murdered and offered peace, probably only as a chance to gain a bit of time to regroup, but the emperor was on a roll and decided to finish the job. Did we say that Nikephoras had underestimated Crum? We did. Well, we were right, as we are about to see. Crum reinforced his armies with defeated Avars and Slav mercenaries and then led his men away from the city. The Imperial Army followed. Crum led his army into the mountains. The Imperial Army followed. Crum led his army through a rocky mountain pass. The Imperial Army, of course, followed. It was getting dark, and the Imperial Army did not see the Bulgars sneak round behind them and blockade the entrance to the pass. They did not see the Bulgars block the exit to the pass, and they did not see the Bulgars disappear into the mountains to wait for morning. Morning came. Nikephoros realised his whole army was trapped. There was simply no way out. He gazed up at the blockades and whispered, we have no chance of being saved except to be turned into birds. All day the troops waited for the attack but it never came. The soldiers became more and more frightened as they imagined what was going to happen. The Bulgars spent the day making their fortifications and blockades stronger and then settled down for another night. Morning came, again, and this time the Bulgars attacked they leapt on the imperial army and cut them to pieces. The imperial troops tried to escape, but the Bulgars set fire to the blockades at each end of the pass and many imperial soldiers burned to death. Only very few men escaped with their lives. Storacius was one, but he was paralysed by a terrible neck wound. The emperor's son-in-law, Michael Rangarbi, also escaped, and the two men, along with a few soldiers, made it back to Constantinople. The Bulgar armies took many imperial prisoners, including a young man called Basil. He was kept in an area reserved for Macedonian prisoners, and so gained the name Basil the Macedonian, even though he'd probably never been to Macedonia. Nicephorus was not so lucky. Only two emperors had ever died in battle against an enemy of the empire. Nikephorus became the third. The bodies of Decius and Valens were never found, but the body of Nikephorus was found. The dead emperor was identified by his purple boots. Crum was delighted. He had the head of the Emperor cut off and taken on a spike back to the Bulgar camp. There it was laughed at, insulted, and pelted with food and poo. After a few weeks of this, Crum had the head boiled, so that all that remained was the skull. He had the holes filled in and the skull lined in silver. For the rest of his life, Crum used the silver-coated head of Nicephorus I as a drinking cup. He never forgot what the Emperor's troops had done to his people, and whenever important men from the empire came to visit him, he would make them drink from the head of their dead emperor. Nicephorus was over 70 when he died, and had ruled the empire for nine years. It could never be claimed he had been a great emperor, or even a good one, but he wasn't the worst. He stabilised the economy and reasserted control over Greece. He also settled people in the Balkans and other disputed areas, which helped to solidify imperial territory. His foreign policy and in particular his generalship, were not so successful, and it is often in these areas that an imperial reputation is defined. Nicephorus' reign was not a success in these terms, and his head ended up being used as a drinking cup. You can draw your own conclusions. Stauracius was now emperor, but Stauracius was paralysed. He made an attempt to rule through his wife, but this was a time of crisis, and not a time for the empire to be ruled by someone who couldn't move. He was forced to abdicate after two months and died soon after in a monastery. He was probably about 40, but nobody really knows. The only person left with any claim to the throne was Michael Rangabi, and he was duly crowned Basileus in October 811. Michael was a handsome and physically strong man, but he was weak at heart. He was not really up to the job of being emperor, and he didn't make a very good one. Michael decided to recognise Charlemagne as Emperor of the West. In return, he got some cities in Dalmatia back, but since soon after Charlemagne died his empire fell apart, this didn't do anyone much good. Michael then started spending money on nice things for himself and his wife, and churches and monasteries, while spending nothing on defending his empire. This was an incredibly bad move, as Crum was on the move again. The great Bulgar leader had decided he could deal the empire an even bigger blow than he had before. The Bulgars ravaged huge areas of Thrace and Macedonia, and took several large and wealthy towns. Discontent spread rapidly. A young girl shouted at Michael as the emperor passed through the streets of Constantinople. Descend from your seat, she yelled. Descend and make room for another. Crum's forces took more cities, and the people of the capital became more afraid for their lives. Before long, the fear took hold, and mad things began to happen. In 812, halfway through a service in the Church of the Holy Apostles, a mob burst in the shocked congregation watched as the mob opened and surrounded the tomb of Constantine V. They dropped to their knees and begged the great iconoclast, who had been dead nearly 40 years, to come back and save them. Not surprisingly, Constantine Capronimus stayed very dead indeed, and didn't come back and save them. Nobody came to save them. On the 5th of November 812, the city of Mesembria fell to the Bulgars, along with lots of gold and some bottles of Greek fire. Soon Crum was in control of Adrianople not many miles from the capital. At last, Michael rangarbi was shaken into action. He gathered an army and marched down towards the Bulgars, but not being a particularly great soldier, he dithered in Thrace. He dithered and dithered. Apparently he dithered for two weeks. Eventually a section of the imperial army attacked and it looked like they might win. They probably would have won, but a very strange thing happened. The other wing of the army turned and fled from the field. These troops were led by a man called Leo the Armenian. Yep, that Leo the Armenian. The Bulgars launched themselves at the rest of the army and smashed it to pieces. Michael Rangabi crept back to Constantinople. He'd never been too keen on being emperor and he knew he wasn't very good at it. He agreed with the patriarch that he would leave if he and his family would not be harmed. Michael was a very religious man and went into exile in a monastery he had been emperor for two years. Michael Rangarbi was probably much happier being a monk than being an emperor. It certainly seemed to suit him because he lived in his monastery for 32 years before finally dying, aged around 73 in 845. No other emperor before or since lived that long after being deposed. Leo the Armenian was clever and cunning. Somehow, perhaps with the agreement of the patriarch, perhaps with the agreement of the army, and perhaps even with the agreement of Crum, he had betrayed the emperor and become emperor himself. He entered Constantinople by the Golden Gate and was crowned Leo V. But whose side is Leo the Armenian really on? He joined a revolt against one emperor, his troops ran away while fighting for another emperor, and now the Bulgars are under the walls of Constantinople and ready to take it. Like Leo III though, Leo V was no traitor. He just thought, He'd make a better emperor than Michael I, and of course he was right. He gave his mates, Michael the Amorian and Thomas the Slav, important military commands, and set about strengthening the weakened empire. Meanwhile, Crum was sat under the walls of the capital with his massive army. He knew he couldn't take the city, but he was content to wait and keep up the siege. In the end, though, he got bored, and sent a message to the emperor demanding that he be allowed to fix his lance to the Golden Gate. Leo received the message, laughed and sent his own message back. He would meet with Crum, he said, and discuss how to end the conflict. He suggested they meet at a point near the Golden Horn. He would arrive by water and Crum by land. Neither of them would carry weapons and nor would any of their troops. Crum agreed and the meeting took place. It seemed to be going well when Crum noticed that one of Leo's men suddenly hid his face. The Khagan knew immediately that this was a signal and leapt onto his horse. Sure enough, three of Leo's men took out knives they were hiding ready to kill Crum. Crum was too quick though, and he escaped. The rest of his party were either killed or taken prisoner. The revenge was terrible. The people who lived in the suburbs of Constantinople, outside the walls, were all killed. Crum's armies then attacked and devastated Adrianople. Everyone who lived there was taken back to the Bulgar homeland north of the Danube, and either killed or sold into slavery. Crum planned a massive, mighty onslaught on Constantinople, and built huge siege engines which could fire massive boulders long distances. Crum was on his way, and Crum was serious. Unfortunately, just as he was about to leave, he suffered a brain haemorrhage and was dead within minutes. Suddenly, the empire was at peace. Crum's son was too young and inexperienced to lead a campaign against Constantinople. The Arabs were still fighting amongst themselves, and the peace made by Nikephorus with the Western Empire was still holding. Leo V was a clever and cunning man. He realised that the people who begged Constantine Capronimus needed to be taken seriously, and so he reintroduced iconoclasm. It was different this time though. Leo wasn't particularly a religious man, and he was only interested in iconoclasm because he thought it would help him keep the empire safe. By 820, Leo V was pretty pleased with himself. He was quite popular and his reign was secure. The empire was at peace and the army was growing stronger. Nothing could go wrong now, and Leo looked forward to a long and prosperous reign. Unfortunately for Leo, there was one person in the empire who was not so pleased. Michael the Amorian had been Leo's best mate. He had been close to the Armenian from the early days and had kept close to him after the revolt led by Bardani's Turkos. He had been rewarded with important military commands. This, though, he decided was not enough. He must have thought about the prophecy. Bardani's turkos had failed. Leo was emperor. That meant that either he or Thomas the Slav was destined for the throne. It was time he decided to see if the purple was meant to be for him. Michael began to plot. Michael began to plan how he'd overthrow his friend. Michael began to gather supporters. Michael got caught. Leo was upset that his friend was planning to take his place and didn't want to believe it, but there was just too much proof, and so on the 24th of December, the Emperor, very sadly, had Michael the Amorian thrown into jail and ordered that he be executed by being chucked into a furnace the following day. His wife, they, pleaded with him that it was nearly Christmas and it was no time for cruelty. Leo agreed to wait until after Christmas to execute his old mate. Feeling very troubled, Leo V, Leo the Armenian, went to bed. Next time, we'll see why Christmas Day in the year 820 was not a time of peace and goodwill for Leo the Armenian. Until then, have a great couple of weeks and I'll speak to you next time.